Hey everyone, KeefeToTheCity.com has partnered with the Alleyway Sports Bar on the Upper East Side for Rangers viewing parties this season. Come to the Alleyway Sports Bar located at East 70th Street between 1st and York this Saturday, February 7th at 3 p.m. to watch the Rangers and Predators and enjoy drink specials, including $30 cash for open bar for the entire game. Head to the Alleyway on Saturday or visit KeefeToTheCity.com slash RangersParty for more information. You're listening to the Keefe to the City Podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, so football season is finally over. Uh, it's hockey season now, at least until we get through uh, spring training, March Madness, and finally baseball season. But the football season has come to an end. All attentions now to the NHL after the All-Star break, and the Rangers uh, have picked it back up with now three wins in a row and, and finally a win over, or at least a, a convincing or, or a better win over a good team and a playoff team in the Bruins at MSG on Wednesday night. A 3-2 win, and it's the first time they beat the Bruins uh, since Game 4 of the uh, 2013 uh, Eastern Conference Semis, the first time they've beat them in the regular season since that, that same year in February, so almost two years. But the Rangers finally get the job done uh, without Henrik Lundqvist in net. And here to talk some Rangers Bruins, some hockey, and amongst some other things is Brian McGonigal. You know him as Rear Admiral up in Boston from Barstool Sports Boston. Brian, how's it going today? Good. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing well. I know... Uh, Things are probably a little quieter than they were earlier in the week in Boston, thanks to the Super Bowl. But uh, and you were out in Vegas for it. Is that like a uh, is that an annual trip or something you do for a little Super Bowl, little gambling uh, escapades? Uh, it was it, it was an annual trip for a while actually. When, when the Jets kind of had their their Super Bowl run about ten years ago, and they you know when they went three out of four, I was out there actually for a couple Super Bowls then. And then uh, I didn't make it an annual trip um, for a while. And then my dad was going out this year in. <clears throat> Said to my brother, hey, let's go out. You know, Pop's getting up there in age, and, you know, I don't know how many more we might have left of these. So uh, we decided to go out and hang out with Dad in Vegas, and my uncle come out and joined us, and uh, we really couldn't have picked a, picked a uh, better, more uh, hot-stopping game than we got. I've called for Pete Carroll to be fired as a as a New York sports fan, uh, a guy who went to school up there, was there. I was a freshman the last time the Patriots won, but to think about them, you know, and, and granted I know that the cursed catch probably should have never happened, and I wish it didn't. I wish the Seahawks just turned it on over on downs, but the worst moment or the worst big moment, the worst call in the history of sports there on the goal line. Yeah, that, that seems to be the, the, the consensus, and it's funny. Before the game, one of my, my, my you know, reasons for, for having money on the Pats was that I just don't see – you know, Bill Belichick getting outsmarted by Pete Carroll. Um, and, you know, Pete Carroll hung in there for, for you know, almost four whole quarters. And then, uh, he, you know, he, at the, the, the worst possible time, he, he brain-fired And, you know, the Rodney Harrison had the great quotes after the game about, you know, guys think they have to outsmart Belichick instead of just sticking with what works or, you know, fundamentals or whatever. And, you know, Belichick, by not taking that time out, I, I think that, that got in, in Carroll's head. He felt he had to outsmart him at that point. And, you know, decided to go with the slant, and, and uh, I'll tell you, I mean, Darius Bond, Malcolm Butler, that had to be, you know, one of the, the most clutch plays I've ever seen anywhere in any sport because, you know, one thing if an offensive guy makes makes a play because you're expecting him to get the ball. But for a defense guy to come in to jump the route like that and to make the uh, a, a Super Bowl-saving interception, uh, I mean, I, I can't remember off the top of my head a play that clutch was, was you know, particularly by a defenseman where you're doing, he's doing something you don't really expect. Um, so I, it was just a phenomenal ending. Um, you know, after the curse catch, of course, you know, every New England fan was saying, here we go again. And you could see it plain as day in Tom Brady's face. And, no, no, we're not going to lose another game like this. But 
uh, you know, credit the coaching staff in New England. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the, the the clip of you know those guys putting Butler in at the last second uh, to make a, a replacement when they saw what Seattle was doing. So the coaching was on the ball, and, and this kid knew, knew exactly what was coming, and he timed it perfect, and uh, it was just stunning. I mean, it was just a stunning end to a, to a, t- a terrific game, and um, you know, of course, for a Pats fan, after the two weeks of all, all the the bull the bull crap we had to listen to about. Uh, you know, a coach and general manager and team, you know, being besmirched with, with little to no evidence, um, well, really no evidence. And so it was good. It was kind of like a big um, middle finger to everyone who, who had something to say about him or doubted them. So it, it was kind of the cherry on top. But, uh, yeah, it's still here. I am four days later. And it's still basically sinking in that they still won that game. It was, it was you know, an unbelievable Super Bowl, probably the the best ever, even if the Pats had lost that game. But, uh yeah, people are, people are still pretty giddy in these parts. When Curse makes that miraculous catch that would have gone, you know, into the same uh, same class as the Tyree catch and, and the Manningham catch of years past, but when he makes that catch in third and ten, and you know, right away they're they're down there, and then Lynch runs it in quickly. I mean, you're going from thinking you're you know two incomplete passes away from winning the Super Bowl to now here we go again, a- another crazy play that's going to cost it to us. So you know, going from it's almost like you went from the ultimate high to the ultimate low, right back to the ultimate high in like real time, probably a minute. Yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, I, I've been at you know uh, a few games like that. Uh, you know, being on both sides. I mean, you know, the Bruins have Toronto. You know, well, Toronto had the Bruins on the ropes, you know, up up late in the third period. The Bruins come back, and, you know, that, that was an example of that. And then the opposite, we got about a few weeks later with the Blackhawks doing the same thing to the Bruins. So I've had, you know, those type of games before. But this one, it was just, I mean, you know, Brad Brady, after a couple of uh, hiccups early in the game with the with the interceptions, kind of redeemed himself. He put the team in position, and we, you know, he put them where they needed to be. And then once again, we just need the defense to make a play. And, Man, they did, but it was it was looking pretty hairy because I even said just you know the just gonna punch it in here, man. To just just let him score and try to get as much time on the uh, on the clock as you can, keep as much time on the clock as you can, and you know you go back to the Dante Hightower, you know he, he tackled him with a one yard line that you know ended up being the season saving tackle. It's just things that happen you don't know it at the time, and you go back and watch it on the replay, and it's just it's just incredible how close things come to completely going the other way uh yeah the emotions are just down up down and and i mean i you know i jumped up i spilled beer all, all down the back of my father we were jumping up and down we look like tom brady and garoppolo jumping up and down like a couple <laughs> little kids out, out after they, they sealed it well they didn't really seal it till the end too because you know after the pick he still had the ball in the, you know one foot line and there was still a possibility of a fumble or whatever and you know, of course, Brady come in, got, got the encroachment penalty, and then and that that's what really sealed the deal was was the, the encroachment penalty, which I thought was great for you know Seattle to, to basically you know uh, put put a, the final nail in the coffin via a penalty because you know with, with all this talk about the Pats, you know, and, and allegations of not enough air in footballs and all that stuff, you know, I think people forgot that the Seattle team is really not a very likable team. Uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch is one of those you know you know six kids with seven baby mama types and. Uh, you know, not not, not exactly the, the guy that played the NFL wanted to trot out as a potential MVP. Um, you know, they got. I mean, you want to talk about cheating? You know, I, I know. I know. Adderall will give you a, a more of a boost than than, than a you know a pound of PSI in a football. And those guys had eight nine guys suspended for taking Adderall or whatever amphetamine they were taking. And you know, they're they're a cocky bunch, they're an arrogant bunch. And you know, I'm, I'm sure there were probably people around the league uh, might not come out and say it or, or tweet about it, but I'm sure they were pretty happy that the that the Pats won. 
just to, to not see that team, that, yeah, to see that team not win in time, by that team, I mean Seattle, because, you know, they weren't exactly quiet boys either, so, you know, uh, I, I was glad to see the, the pass win for that reason as well. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, for you, you're coming off, uh, you're coming back from Vegas, you're coming off a Super Bowl win the first of 10 years after a few uh, crazy losses for the Patriots, you return home, and now you're, you're, you're back, in, back in Boston, it's a blizzard every single day, I mean, and, and then you got regular season hockey, so to go from Super Bowl in the nice weather of Vegas and, and the lifestyle there to, to return home to Boston and come back to this mess that we've also been having down here in New York, I mean, that's, that's a pretty drastic change as well. Yeah, well, it's uh, I, I, it's funny. I, I had a my car got hit at the end of December, and I had a rental that I had to bring. I got packed about noon Tuesday. I had to bring a rental back at by one thirty. And uh, there's nothing like a walk home in a half, half hour and uh, in the freezing snow, uh, freezing cold, with blizzard, uh, snow all over the place to kind of get you back in the feeling like a New Englander. It was kind of like you know you dread coming home, but actually you know a nice half hour walk on the cold air kind of freshened you up a little, and you know kind of a welcome home, but. You know, it wasn't like oh, I'm dreading going home. It was, I mean, I dread the snow and the shoveling. I'm not a little little kid anymore like I used to be where I got to play around with it. But, yeah, once I went for a nice little walk and back home, it was, it was actually kind of nice, you know, kind of get you back in the swing of things. So you you gotta, you, you need to change your mentality, too, when you're coming from Vegas back back home to do all the shoveling and stuff like that. You, you kind of got to give yourself an attitude adjustment. So, uh, yeah, it's not not thrilled coming home to it, but whatever. You know, it would have been a lot, lot worse if um, the Pats had lost that game, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the hockey's back in full swing, and now that's where pretty much everyone's attention has to go to, unless um, you know you're one of the uh, NBA fans, which in New York and Boston these days there's not many of those. But the Rangers Bruins, and, and they seem to always play good games. It's usually you know a Lundqvist Rask battle, but Lundqvist missed the last game they played for reasons I don't know, and, and the Rangers get lit up anyway and couldn't score a goal in that game. And then last night the Rangers get out to a hot start. They you know their speed looked to to be on a level that the Bruins just couldn't compete with, and it was one, uh, you know, it was a, an early one nothing lead, and right as Pierre Maguire starts talking to Elaine Vigneault about the Rangers' speed and how they've come out sort of on fire to start the game, sure enough, the Bruins bounce uh, right back, put two in, and I think a minute 52, take the lead, and the Rangers do fight back and, and end up winning the game, which is something that they've had a lot of trouble doing against Boston in the past, and and going back to last spring when they played the Canadians in the playoffs, I thought if they had to play the Bruins in the conference final, they would have been out. I thought that the Bruins were a terrible matchup for the Rangers along the same lines as now I think the Islanders and the Lightning are. But uh, they finally get the job done against the Bruins in, in what was you know a real competitive game and almost had a playoff feel to it. Um, I don't know if it's because Doc was calling the game or you know the, the, the level of play for both sides the, and the way the game went and, and the crowd and the noise at MSG, but that, it felt like a playoff game, and I, feel, and I feel like over the course of 82 games, it's good to have one of those every once in a while to break up the monotony of the schedule. Yeah, it's always like I say, always nice to have the original six guys going against each other. And, and like I, you know, mentioned before in previous pod, pod with you that you know these two teams, you know, when they when, when they play at the at the Garden here, even if they're they're bad, even if they're below the playoff uh, playoff line, they, we always get a good game out of these two. It's you know the whole New York Boston thing, the original six thing, uh, and we got a good one last night. You guys obviously come out on top. Um, you know, Bruins. I'm not. To, to, not to discredit the Rangers in any way, I don't. I don't think the Bruins really brought their brought their best game last night. Um, you know, they had a nice lead after one, but I, I wasn't too too confident with it. And uh, you know, Rangers just kept coming. Um, and, you know, Rash gave up that third goal to step in. He, he looked like he got a piece of it and, and just didn't get all of it. And you know, there was no scoring in the third period, which I, I 
I thought the bees might have tied up looking at an overtime there, but they just uh, they, they 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 didn't put the, the actually neither team was I didn't think particularly great in the third. It was just kind of like the Rangers kind of playing playing to hang on just to to get the win. But um, yeah, I mean it was a nice game, good game. But you know, like I always say with the regular season, it's just, it's just the regular season, and, and you know, actually Talbot I thought he played a pretty decent game, but the, I don't think the Bruins are going to be seeing him uh, should these team meet up in the playoffs. You know, I think we we both know it'll be Hank all the way and. Um, you know, not like a nice win for you guys, get you two points. But uh, as far as you know, from this perspective, you know the bees have been playing some pretty good hockey. Uh, you know, you're not going to win them all. And, uh, basically, we're not crying in our beer too, too much all over it up here. You know, we're, we're, just, we're kind of so thankful to get back into the to the thick of the playoff race. And you know, I know that that jumped you guys over the Capitals. See, where the, where the Bruins are basically they, the Bruins might end up in the wild card no matter what because I mean, they, they're, they're six points behind the Detroit, which. Isn't a ton, but uh, Detroit actually and Montreal both have a game in hand, and it's, you know it's tough to leapfrog good teams. So, you know, uh, it wouldn't totally shock me if the Bruins are out of the eight or seven seed because you know just because it will be tough for them to, to leapfrog teams in their division just to get into a better seed. But you know, like I said before, I'm certainly fine with that. It's just I, I just want to get into the playoffs, and especially after the way the season started, I'm really not going to complain about what seed they are. The the thing that that looks shocking to me, and I granted they're cut, you know they're on the road. It's it's not at home in Boston. I know Lucic like had to travel himself because he had the flu, and he came up with that um, that nice first goal for the Bruins. But the thing that struck me the the most different about that Rangers Bruins game that has of any in the past is it seemed like how easily the Rangers were able to penetrate the Bruins zone, and they they had a pretty good amount of odd man rushes, uh, a few two on ones, a lot of three on twos. Um, they were able to you know sort of get by the D quickly on the boards through the neutral zone, and it just seem like you know I've heard so much coming out of Boston this year about how how the Bruins defense which has always been their strength isn't exactly what it used to be and certainly the trade of Boychuk has a lot to do with that but to me I, I don't know if that was just one game and like you said they didn't bring their a game and if it was just an anomaly to what the rest of the season has been for them but um, I feel like I've watched a lot of Bruins this year I, I try to watch a lot of them every year and it just seemed like the Rangers for the first time in a long time were able to do pretty much whatever they want in the offensive zone yeah, yeah. Like I said, they, they definitely got to, to run around quite a bit last night. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I would say it'd be an anomaly as of late for the Bruins because that was pretty much how they were playing for the first third of the season. Uh, but they, they definitely corrected things. You know, maybe going back a month. I mean, they, they went on a nice tear there. Like I said, leapfrog back into the playoff position. And yeah, last night I just don't think they played their, their, their cohesive team unit defense as opposed to just the defense with the, you know the whole team with the forwards involved. It, it just didn't seem like they were they were in sync like they had been. You know, uh, for the for the last couple weeks before that. I mean, they, I don't know if you watched the game Saturday night versus the Kings. I mean, that was. You know that was a, if it was a Stanley Cup preview, a hell of a game. It had the playoff intensity. It had you know hitting. I mean, left and right, there was what you call a very heavy game. So you know, we definitely saw. I, I think maybe a different Bruins game in the in the previous game. And I don't think they like I said. I don't think. And again, I'm not besmirching the Rangers or uh, trying to reduce their win. I mean, they they won the game fair and square. But you know, I just I think the Bruins had a little bit of a, a few days off there, and it, and it looked like it. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure in the, in the play, if these two met in the playoffs, it, it would probably be a six, seven game series. You know, you guys, I mean, you guys got a hell of a team. You guys, uh, you know, pretty stacked. Probably one of the better teams you guys have iced in the last few years. And you, as long as you got Hank, you got a chance. So yeah, the, the Bruins, like I said, weren't at their best uh, off that, well, offensively or, or really deep, team defensively last night. They, they did give you guys, you know, a lot of room to skate last night. It wasn't what, what, what we had been used to seeing up here for the last few weeks, but. 
you know, like like I like I always say, I tend not to make too big of a deal about you know regular season losses because it's it's easy to make a make a big deal about them, but in the long run, they're really it's really not that big of a deal. Well, you mentioned how uh, the option of or, or the possibility of them meeting in the playoffs six or seven game series, which uh, would have been, would be a lot better than we saw a couple years ago. And when I started thinking about the playoffs, and it seems like right now, I mean, you look at the East and the eight teams in it right now are pretty much probably going to be the eight. Um, unless Florida really goes on some kind of crazy run here over the next two months and one of the top eight right now falls apart, and I don't really see that happening. So it, it's sort of like the playoff mix has already been decided, and it's almost like, well, let's just get the playoff started. But uh, for the Rangers, you know, the, the Islanders have had their number this year, and I, I've never really cared about the Islanders. I never really thought about them, and, the you know, the rivalry between those teams was um, – I was young the last time they really the Islanders really mattered, and, you know, the 80s and, the, and you know, beyond then and, and before then and – when the Islanders were good, and, and now the Islanders, now that they are good, the fans are starting to coming out of the woodwork and calling themselves the best team in New York and, and you know, pumping their chest because they've been good for four months now. But they're the one team that, you know, I'm really scared of right now, along with the Lightning and the, and the, uh, and the Bruins, of a possibility of not only a first-round matchup but any matchup. And I don't know if that goes to show how deep or how, how good the, the East is after a few down years and, you know, how, how competitive it's become. But outside of, I can imagine, I'd think the Canadians for you guys because, of the uh, the hard fought series you've had in years past with them, but when it comes to you, is it is there you know the Rangers, the Lightning? Who, who's the team that scares you outside of I'm guessing Montreal? Yeah, I mean Montreal doesn't scare. I'm not I'm not scared of Montreal. I, I welcome it if we're going to play them. You know, uh, it's such a good rivalry, and you know it puts the hot in your stomach and makes the media go crazy and fans act like idiots. And I love it. I, I love the I love the whole drama of it, and so I, I welcome Montreal. Um, but but a, a team, I mean, I wouldn't really want to play. But twenty, you mentioned the Islanders, and you know, I, I mean, I'm not defending Islanders fans, but if they if they you know they did go away from their team for a while, you, you can't really blame them given the, the ownership troubles, the general manager troubles. I mean, that team was uh, uh, the epitome of a dysfunctional franchise for, for, for hell a decade or more. Uh, so I mean, if I was a you know if I was a fan of a team like that, I would probably have a hard time continuing to root for them. So I mean, it's just you know when when a Team is just that poorly run and doesn't really apparently care about the fans. It's, it's just so easy to walk away. Um, but I, I love to have them back. Uh, having them back as a good team, the Islanders and Rangers. I mean, they have those guys' rivalry now. It'll, it'll next year will be a, a true city rivalry with you know the, the Islanders in Brooklyn and you know the Rangers right right across the river. So it's it'll be actually a nice city rivalry to have again. Well, not, um, again, but just to have it in the NHL. Uh, but the Islanders, I, they're a team that uh, you know. I wouldn't be crazy about playing. They went. They finally went out and got a goalie. I mean, they they, they probably would have advanced the last couple of years had they had uh, anyone but Nabokov in that. He was just, you know, he was older. He was past his prime, and he, I mean, he was awful in the playoffs, and and that was the reason the Islanders couldn't advance. But they they went out and got Halak, who I you know, I think's the number one. He's, he's he has a playoff resume that's certainly indicative of a guy who can do some damage. So yeah, that, that's not a team uh, I particularly want to play. Um, Again, Halak, you know, he never brought a team to a cup, but he's certainly, I think, shown capability to play in the playoffs. You know, he has the skills to take a team far. Uh, Tampa Bay, as much as Stamkos does scare me um, offensively, he's, I mean, plus he's a, he's a dynamic player. And he's, a good, and he's a good guy, too. He's an easy guy to root for. But Tampa Bay's big question mark is goaltending. Uh, ben Bishop, he's still unproven in that. As good as he's been in the regular season the last couple of years, we still don't know uh, what we're going to get from him in the playoffs. So, you know, until that's a proven commodity, I'm really not going to be too too scared of them. So yeah, really, I mean, just looking right now, I mean, obviously, yeah, Hank Lundqvist is not a guy you really want to go against first round, but 
you know, and, and Mark Andre Fleury as far as Pittsburgh until he shows he's back in playoff form. I'm not really scared of him, but yeah, the, the Islanders got a, a lot of uh, offensive punch. They get some depth. They got great D, and that's a team that um, you know I, I not that I'm afraid of. But, you know, look, oh, I don't want to play them, but that's certainly it's a team that jumps out as somebody who who can give uh, the Bruins some problems in the playoffs. I've done a few podcasts recently with uh, talk to talk Rangers Islanders because they've played twice in the past few weeks, and uh, one of the themes we talked about is the closing of Nassau Coliseum and uh, how it's sort of starting to set in for Islanders fans now that there's only so many home games left, and then that'll be it, and then they'll head to the Barclays Center, which is uh, wasn't built for hockey, which is kind of crazy that in this day and age you'd build a, a venue that couldn't uh, really hold a rink or, or is made for a rink, especially so when it's a, a professional setting, but... When you look around the league now, I mean, you got the Nassau Coliseum, which still has that old school, you know, you come out the tunnel, there's the stairs right around the tunnel to go up, there's that walkway that goes around, and you got Joe Lewis, and the MSG, uh, because of the renovations the last three years, is now, you know, looking more like the cookie-cutter New Age rinks, and, and really, there's only a couple left that have that, you know, even, you know, going back 90s, 80s, you want to say 70s feel to it, and it's sort of sad because... You know, that's the that's the NHL that I grew up on in, in the early 90s and, and for you, you know, even earlier than that. And you, you must, you know, sort of get sentimental about seeing all these rinks now and they, they all look exactly the same and there's no real true uh, element to them. There's no real, like, home ice advantage anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Neil. This, this, you know, the, basically the stadiums now, well, but I, you know, the ones they basically built in, you know, the 90s and early 2000s, it reminds me of all the baseball stadiums and the, you know, the ugly ones they built in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, Riverfront and Veterans and, and uh, Three Rivers, those kind of big, clunky, concrete messes. That's kind of what we have in the NHL. I mean, some are nicer than others. I mean, you know, where the Anaheim plays the pond, that's a beautiful arena. Um, uh, the Florida Panthers, they have a beautiful arena, but uh, they're all the sort of same when you get inside it, when you're in to watch the game. They're all kind of designed the same. There's no real charm to them. Um, and, yeah, I, I do miss that, especially as a guy who basically grew up in the old Boston Garden. I feel like I spent half my childhood in there. You, you definitely missed that. There was, you know, there definitely were home and home ice advantages to two bonds like that. Uh, and, and, yeah, that is disappearing. And, and going back to your Barclays Center point, that has to be the stupidest thing going. That You're building a brand-new arena. You're going to spend, what, a half a billion dollars on or whatever, and you don't make it feasible for hockey. It's just like, I mean, not even like that there was a, uh, already talk of potentially the Islanders going there, but just for rental purposes. I mean, when, you, when you're building an arena, you're basically of that size. Uh, you know, you, okay, basketball, hockey, circus, concerts, those type of things. So why on uh, God's green earth they would build a, 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 an arena like that and not make it, so you can easily go in and set up a hockey game and have it be, you know, fan friendly and view, you know, viewer friendly with no obstructions. Uh, it's just stupid. I mean, it's just no other words that come to mind. But stupid that, I mean, whether it was New York, anyway. I mean, anywhere you're building that, uh, you know, a fifteen to twenty thousand seat arena or twenty two thousand, whatever the hell it is, and not make it so that you can play basketball as easily as you could play hockey and you know everyone can get the same view. It, it's just such a lack of of, of uh, foresight and vision to to do that. I mean. You know, I mean, so here you go. You, the Islanders are finally moving into a new place, and then you look at some of the, the angles and some of the pitches that people have to deal with, and it's head scratch. And it's like, who the hell designed this place? And again, not that they knew they were going to have a hockey tenant, uh, if, you know, for the year. Although they probably could have figured that out. Uh, it's just, you know, again, for rental purposes, or you know, if someone ten years down the line they're going to move a team in there. 
just terrible, just terrible that, you know, you're going to be in a new arena and people are going to be having to crane their necks to watch the game. But um, at the same time, you know, the Islanders had to do something. They, as much as, you know, we're hearing about the, the Coliseum this year and all the charm, and, and from, I haven't been there, but from what I understand, it's a fantastic place to watch a game. It, yeah, it does suck to see these places go, but, you know, uh, again, as, as a guy who grew up in the garden, I, I can attest to the fact that it, sometimes it, it is time. It's, you know, it's okay. We've had this place too long, but, I mean, the freaking garden didn't even have uh, air conditioning. You know, if you go to a Celtics playoff game in June, it was like stepping into a sauna. So, you know, it's nice to have old bonds like that, but, you know, at the same time, when they're too old, they they got to go, and, you know, it's time for a new bond. Yeah, I think it's going to be outrageous to see uh... – you know, an NHL rink where the scoreboard is not directly over center ice and where one end of the ice, the fir- only like the first three rows can actually see the full ice and then you have to stand to see from the near blue line in. But uh, we talk about home ice advantage and I was doing an email exchange uh, after Rangers Bruins for, for my site and uh, with Mike McCauley from the Hockey Writers. And we were talking about home ice advantage and I never went to a game at the Boston Garden, but um, when I was about, uh, I think, eight or nine years old, I was up there uh, – my sister had a dancing competition um, in Boston, uh, my little sister, and we, I went on it. Me and my dad take me on a tour of the Boston Garden, and uh, it was it was the off season, and um, and there was uh, there was sort of like it was set up though for like the regular season. And there was these wooden planks going from the visitors' locker room like down the tunnel to where they would take the ice, and they were just like beat up wood, and they were like, yeah, that's like where the visitors come from. And I was thinking about you know w- w- like thinking about Mario Lemieux walking down like wooden planks to get on the ice, and I just think that you know you need more of these things. And, and nowadays, like where every home team so worried about having great accommodations for uh, the visitor team, and I hear Dustin Pedroia talk about how great Yankee Stadium it is, and how the visitors clubhouse is magnificent, and all this, and how it's like almost better than the one he has at Fenway. And I just feel like it shouldn't be like that in sports, and it shouldn't be that nice. And you know, you shouldn't be you know if the other team forgets something all these equipment managers are so quickly and and easily uh, able to go fix something for them or get them what they need and I just feel like it, you know it's not what it used to be and I, I sort of miss the old days when um, you know it was about getting an edge and, and there was a little element of being on the road and it would be hard to play on a road and hard to win on the road yeah yeah definitely uh, an, an era of, 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 a, of a different time you know when 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 we get these cookie kind of places so I mean you know the, I mean I, I haven't been in a hockey game at MSG for a while but I mean speaking for the for the Bruins, we definitely do get a, a, a you know home home ice advantage here in in the playoffs with the noise. I mean, it, it, I mean sometimes I don't think TV picks it up as good as it could. And I take a, probably a great example of that is when Roger Goodell uh, came to the microphone the other day, and you could hear there's some booing in the background. But you know, people there said you could be able to hear yourself; they were booing so loud. And the, the, I think sometimes people watch TV. Oh, they're, they're, you know, that crowd's not even making any noise. But that, I've, I've, from my experience, I've you know learned that that's not really the best indicator of how loud a building is to, to hear it on TV. But but at the at the Bruins games, you know, in the playoffs especially, I think there's definitely you know that's basically the only way you really get a home a home ice advantage now is you know your crowd making noise basically because you know like I say you don't have the the the, the imperfections as it were of of the older buildings where. Uh, you know, it, it somehow whether it's just psychologically, a team is you know the visiting team might think, oh, this place is a dump, and the, and the building might get you know, in the, not in their head completely, but just enough to maybe throw them off a game a little bit. Whereas now it's now every every room is, you know, uh, air conditioned, uh, padded seats, all the whole nine yards. Because you know we're dealing with multi-million dollar athletes, but uh, it, it, but it, it is still the crowd. I mean, it becomes basically the crowd. I mean, the, the the crowd is the one who has to kind of give that uh, home ice advantage and. You know, places like Boston, places like Montreal, places like New York, that, that's not a problem. If, you know, if the, the fans are into the game, then um, then, then that, that is your advantage. But, yeah, as far as the old buildings, and even like the, ch- the charm of it, and, 
you know, that, that even that's gone. It's just like they're the, the, just all the same. There's this. I mean, I guess there's you know, so many so many ways you can make a uh, an arena. Um, you know, to, to give it some sort of advantage, but they just don't build those overhanging balconies anymore. They, everything is just kind of, you know, seat rows just going up like like we see in all the arenas now. So I, I think it's just kind of a product of a, of a bygone era. And, you know, any, you know, house advantage is, is basically going to come from the fans or, or if you're a Falcon, an Atlanta Falcons fan, you're a sound guy pumping noise in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring up the point in New York and, you know, the old MSG before they renovated the benches sort of curled and made almost like a half circle shape because they couldn't really fit them in. And in Nassau Coliseum, uh, they still have to have the visiting team's back of goalies sit in the tunnel, like with media people, because there's no room on the bench. And it's just those little quirks that you know they're they're so interesting. And now there's really not going to be any more of them. And uh, you mentioned the old Boston Garden, how you grew up there, and I never got the chance to see a game there. And uh, and it's one of the things that I wish I did. And yeah, I, we we could do a whole podcast just on that and and the old uh, the old North Station area, and, and maybe we will in the future. But when, when you think about the way the Boston Garden used to look, and with the T above the street there, and um, you know, it, Boston. I mean, I lived there for four years in college, the year after, so five years total. Uh, I was in, I lived in the North End and Back Bay, uh, over on like the seaport area so pretty much all over the place but i feel like old boston or at least you know as as most recent as probably you know the mid to late 90s it just seems like it was a lot cooler place than it is now yeah i mean it was definitely uh, i would probably grimier a little grittier um the dirty basically because you know yeah like you mentioned you had the, the the old uh green line going overhead you had you still had the the, the basic i believe was more or less the last bastion of it you know the well an elevated rail in Boston. I'm thinking of the top of my head. Uh, with a, actually, well, they're still above ground over going out to Leechmere in Cambridge, but that's not really elevated in the same sense as you know the train going down the middle of the street, you know, um, like uh, Popeye Doyle style, like the French Connection. Uh, yeah, so you, it definitely kind of I think they had that kind of Boston aesthetic. Where yeah, it was you know kind of grimy, almost a little shady looking because it was you know the whole train track was covering the whole street, so it was dirty and things were dripping. And yeah, it was definitely a, a, a different thing going into the, the old building, even that area. Now it's you know open air. Well, it's funny they they actually for a couple of years we had a nice open air thing. You could actually stand outside the garden and look clear to down to from North Station to South Station. Have a great view. Of course, you know this being Boston, they, they took about thirty seconds from the slap up another luxury condo building that that will be half full. That will be half full that no one will be living in. So you know it, it actually gave us a nice open air view for a while, and well, until like I said, they started building everything. But yeah, that 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 area did did have that kind of gritty, grimy kind of you know industrial Boston type looking thing, and you know that that's all gone. But you know that that actually maybe serves as a metaphor for the whole city because you know a lot of parts of the city did, you know looked different twenty, thirty years ago, and. And you know now they don't. They're they are spruced up, freshened up, and you know I know change happens. It's it's that's what cities do. They change, but you know it, it's definitely a part of part of me who always you know have a soft spot for the for the old garden and you know that whole like I said the the, the, the whole grimy tea overhead and you know stuff dripping on people and you know we used to sneak in. You know the the old garden had a million doors you could sneak in and getting chased by security guys. It's just it's one of those places I you know wish I could get in a time machine and go back in time and visit. And, you know, I see pictures of it. I, I get wistful about everything because it was just—it was just such a unique building that was just that was. I mean, even the last few years, it was so old. It, was, it probably shouldn't even have been in business the last few years there, but uh, it, it was just—it was a, just a shrine. I mean, it was—you know—there was so much history in there that 
You know, every time you went in, you just, you know, you felt like you were, you were visiting the sports equivalent of a church. I think you gave us uh, exactly where we should uh, pick it up in March. Uh, Rangers-Bruins, the, the last time they'll play each other this season at the end of March in Boston. And uh, with them going back to Boston and then the baseball season right around the corner, a little Yankees-Red Sox. We'll have to do a, a podcast ded- dedicated to old Boston because, you know, obviously don't know it the way you know it. But, you know, the the latest or earliest I know it as being 17, 18 up there is, uh, you know, when, when North Station, there were still remnants of the T above ground. And you still had Hooters over there, and the penalty box, and even TGI Fridays. And all those now have go- been gone and replaced and whatnot. And um, it's it just weird. And, and for you, I mean, that's that's probably not even going back to half the time you remember it being. But we'll have to, do, we'll have to get more in-depth of this next time because I feel like it's it's interesting to talk about it and and to think of the character that the area used to have and the way the Boston Garden used to look and then to be replaced uh you know for a parking lot and in its place is just a TD garden which on maybe about 80% of it just looks like one huge gray cinder block but we'll definitely have to get into it I think I think it would make for a good talk because if there's anyone that can talk about it, it's definitely you yeah I'd be all surely down for that anytime Neil anytime all right, Brian. Well, thanks again, and uh, I look forward to the next meeting. And hopefully by then, uh, if, the, if the eight teams of the East are still together and still going the way they are, we'll have some uh, a little bit of a, a preview of what the playoffs, uh, or at least the playoff picture, should look like over those final weeks of the season. Absolutely, Kyle. Looking forward to chatting again. All right, thanks again. Okay, Neil. Take care, brother.